Welcome to C's for Creepy. My name is Elise. And my name's Courtney. Join us every week as we discuss our favorite true crime and paranormal stories. From A to Z. Hey guys, this is Elise with C is for Creepy. Thanks again for tuning in. So, Courtney and I did record an episode to come out today, but unfortunately an accident happened and that file was lost. Uh, Even more unfortunately, she lost her voice, so stepping in for her is her fiancé, Jeff. Hi. Hey. As as you can clearly tell by my voice, I'm not Courtney. Hopefully this is just a one-time thing, but Courtney's sitting right beside me just in case I fuck up or get anything wrong. But yeah, I'll just be filling in for this week. Yeah, thanks again so much for filling in. We were in quite the bind there, so I'm... Yeah, no problem. Really happy to have you on. Glad to hear it. Glad I could help out. Okay, so, um, it's kind of unfortunate that this is the one that you get to listen in on live and react to live because the topic that I'm going to be discussing today is D for domestic violence. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. By the way, I'm going into this, like, completely blind. I have not heard the story yet. Um, that... This, this is gonna be a fun time yeah i'm excited <laughs> okay so like we do try to keep things lighter you're gonna have a heck of a time i don't know if like, i feel like couldn't. especially because i'm a guy i shouldn't try and make light of it no no fair point just yeah so just i believe in you you'll get through this <laughs> okay so um i do need to mention like the case that i'm covering too is extremely dark um i typically don't do trigger warnings however this time around um there is warnings for topics such as grooming violence against minors and there is a discussion of torture so if those topics are not something you want to listen to skip ahead to jeff's story i'm sure his will be a lot later but I, I can guarantee you it is. Okay, good stuff. <laughs> so domestic violence is also known as intimate partner violence. It occurs between people in an intimate relationship. It can take many forms, including mental, sexual, and physical abuse or threats of abuse, just to name a few. Domestic violence has been primarily in the past reported to happen to women. It is now coming out in more recent years for males to also be victims as well. It should be mentioned that domestic violence can occur regardless of sexual orientation and is often reported less from LGBTQ individuals when compared to those in a heterosexual relationship. But of course, like it happens, anybody can be a victim of domestic violence. I just realized I'm nodding to acknowledge that I'm listening and they can't see that I'm nodding. (laughs) 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 Sorry, of course I had it. That's all good. It's weird with a mic in front of you trying to talk. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So in any sort of domestic abuse, the defining characteristic is a clear power imbalance in the relationship. The abuser takes pleasure in the control that they have over their partner. In most cases, a pattern forms where an abuser seems charming, slowly shows signs of jealousy or manipulation, and then an incident happens where the abuser does damage control by being the previous version of themselves. The cycle repeats over each time the duration and intensity of the abuse increases. 
The main issues victims of domestic violence face, apart from lack of resources, is that there is so much victim blaming placed on them. The yeah, fact- they, they say, like, why didn't you get out? Like, you should know better and all that stuff. Right, and there's lots of reasons why, like, especially women can't leave that cycle, whether it be financial hardship or maybe there's children involved. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's difficult for them. Yeah, people don't understand how difficult it is. It's like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, no, it's not. It's not that easy. No. Well, the fact is that the two most dangerous times for a domestic abuse victim is one, when they're pregnant. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so Courtney actually asked me when we were originally recording, why when they're pregnant? Oh, I could see why. The, probably like the emotional stress finally cracking them, if I had to take a guess. So, kind of. When women are pregnant, there's more focus on them, right? There's more focus on the woman. Yeah. So because of that, because they might not be able to attend to like their normal duties and give the abuser what they feel that they deserve, the abuser takes it out on them. So they're a jealous toddler throwing an adult tantrum. That's like, awful. Oh that's my exactly God. right. Yeah. So it's just they feel like that control, that their power is going away because of this, uh, this fetus growing in women their fetus their fetus but they don't see it that way oh that's i'm sad already oh, <laughs> i'm sorry we're just getting started <laughs> so like i had said the most diff- dangerous times is one when they were pregnant which we already talked about and two when they are leaving the abuser that makes sense yeah they want to keep their power exactly so according to canadianwomen.org women are six times more likely to be killed by an ex-partner than a current partner so that's not a fun fact but it is a fact yeah the fun fact is not the right word yeah so let's get to the case i would like to shout out true crime with emma kenny and the blog crimes and consequences as they both had great information that really helped me expand on this case a man walks into a police station in Manchester, England. It's April 16, 1996. The man tells police that he accidentally killed his girlfriend when she was in the bathtub. And despite attempts to resuscitate her, she didn't make it. After the police arrive at the scene, it is clear that this is no accident. How would it be an accident in the first place? Like, did he have an explanation? Like, oh, I accidentally held her under too long. So his original excuse was that they were having an argument and, like, things just escalated and she ended up drowning. <laughs> Cut to she ended up drowning? Who, pretty, who knows what happened in between? Pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. So this is the story of Kellyanne Bates. She was born May 18, 1978, in Hattersley, Greater Manchester, in England. She was the middle daughter of Margaret and Thomas, who had three children. Kellyanne was described as an outgoing, bubbly girl. She was also called an old soul and was considered mature for her age, often not relating to peers of her own age. She was a bit of a tomboy and was active in sports. She had dreams of becoming a teacher one day and would often babysit in her neighborhood. And that's where she met him. The man walked Kelly home from the babysitting job, a chivalrous act. He wooed and charmed her, and eventually they started dating. Sorry, was she babysitting for him? Not for him. 
he was friends of the family that she was babysitting for. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's how they met. So, Kellyanne was 14 at the time they started dating. Oh, okay. While she was secretive of her relationship to her parents, they did know that she was seeing someone called Dave Smith. Her parents assumed that Dave was around her age, probably a little older, but they started to grow concerned when she was spending days away from them and sneaking out of the house late at night. So Dave Smith ended up calling Margaret and assured her that he too was concerned about Kellyanne's behavior. Sorry, did we establish how old he was or he was when the relationship started? I'll let you know in okay. a little bit. I'll let you know. I'm not going to like the answer, am I? No, you're not. Oh, fantastic. No good person would. <laughs> so yeah, like I said, like he called Margaret, Kellyanne's mom, and was on her side. He was concerned, like, even though she was young, she shouldn't be sneaking out. So Kelly Ann's mother thought that Dave was an ally. Like, she thought he was on their side. But that changed when Kelly Ann was 16 years old. She had been seeing Dave for two years at this point. And it was decided that this was now time for her parents to meet the person she had been so secretive about. She warned her parents that Dave was older than her. In fact, she said he was 32. Oh my god. However, when he walked through the door, Margaret knew that the man before her was older than 32. And more than that, she could feel the darkness that radiated from him. While James swaggered in, confident that he had already won Kellyanne's parents over, Margaret recalls seeing a bread knife and finding the urge to stab the man that slithered his way into their daughter's life. Yeah, I, uh, me and Courtney recently had a daughter, and I would do, like, it wouldn't be a thought. It would just happen. Mm-hmm. 30, or uh, she says 32, and, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. After meeting Dave, Margaret asked around her circle of friends if anyone knew a 32-year-old man named Dave Smith, but no one did. This was surprising considering the close-knit community and uh, not one person knew him. But there was a very good reason for that. Dave Smith was not exactly who he said he was. In fact, Dave Smith did not exist. Under a false name, James Patterson Smith, who was actually 48 years old. Oh my god, at the beginning or when they met him? I, you know what, that really doesn't matter. Oh my god, he, he's... What, 30 years older than him? 40? One of the two. My math is off right now. That's fair. We don't do math on this show. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, we don't do that here. This is a math-free area. <laughs> so, like I said, 48 years old, and he had infiltrated Kellyanne's life. And this is another fact, not necessarily fun, but fun fact. Uh, James Patterson Smith was actually one years old than Kellyanne's own father. Uh... Okay, so let's talk about Patterson for a hot minute. We already know a lot about him. We know he lied about his identity. We know that he wanted to control a young girl. And we knew that he enjoyed manipulating her family. Looking into Smith's past, it is easy to see a sick pattern forming over the types of women he wanted to possess. He was divorced after a 10-year marriage in 1980, 
So he was married for ten years before she was even born. Yeah. So Kelly was actually two years old when he was divorced. Oh, okay. Apparently my math is bad. That's okay. I did. I threw that one in there because I was like, ugh, when I read that. <laughs> the divorce was due to violence towards his wife. His next relationship was with a 20-year-old woman who, for two years, he used, and to quote her, as a punching bag. Smith subjected Tina Watson to severe beatings while she was pregnant with his child. Tina left Smith in 1982 after he attempted to drown her while she was having a bath. Smith next started seeing 15-year-old Wendy Motorshead in 1982. Oh, so... It wasn't his first teenager. He had experience with this. And he just keeps getting younger and younger and younger. Exactly. Like, that's... He was smart enough to realize that an older woman would have the wherewithal to get out of her situation like that. Yeah. Right? Not take so much of his shit. Or at least be able to leave when they realize enough is enough. Well, yeah, it's so much more easier to keep the affections of a young girl right like they're just naive they don't have the life experience yet no. to know when enough is enough right so he attempted to drown wendy by holding her head underwater in the kitchen sink luckily for wendy she survived and ended the relationship kellyanna 14 didn't know anything of smith's past and was charmed by the older man the unemployed man would get her presents and spend time with her. Grooming the young girl, he was able to manipulate her. She spent a lot of time with Smith. Any time that wasn't spent with him, he was calling her, jealously wanting to know her whereabouts. Unfortunately, Kellyanne's family thought at the time that these calls were coming from a place of young, innocent love. Kellyanne, at 16 years old, was now at the legal age of consent in the UK. Much to the frustration of her parents and them not wanting to lose their daughter, they did not disown the relationship. Oh, Cal really? They, they I, un I understand not wanting to lose your daughter, but I, I think it's different to give the okay. Like, I don't know, even if you uh, don't outright say, no, he's not allowed in my house, I feel like you should at least talk to her and be like, hey, this isn't okay like mm -hmm. try and discourage her from it a little bit i totally agree with you i think too that it was and it's not a justification but it was also a different time oh yeah for sure right where lots of celebrities were dating teenage girls and it was common it wasn't unheard of and like i said not justification but even if they weren't thrilled about it it wasn't necessarily enough for them to say no Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Different time. Mm -hmm. Still clearly not happy about it, though. No, not happy about it, but not wanting to lose their daughter, they didn't say absolutely no way. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Kellyanne started spending more time with, at Smith's residence and announced that she would be moving in with him full time starting November 30th, 1995. Some accounts say that the abuse started before she moved in with him, but her parents didn't notice the bruising until after, and they also noticed a change in their daughter's behavior. They noticed she wasn't taking care of herself, so she had let her hygiene go, 
her hair was like really stringy and green like she just wasn't taking care of her she was unkept margaret begged her to end the relationship at that point but kellyanne was set to move in and like stay there permanently margaret relented as long as kellyanne kept in regular touch after moving in with smith he was finally able to have what he wanted all along he was able to possess young kellyanne Smith forced her to quit her part-time job and did not allow her to leave. For a long time, she was able to talk to her parents on the phone, and they were able to visit. But the family no longer recognized their child. Gone was the bubbly young girl, and in her place sat the shell of a young woman, no longer looking at them in the eyes or able to speak to them. Like a beaten dog, kind of? Where they cower if anyone goes too close to them? Kind that's, of. Uh, that's incredibly sad. Yeah. I'm sad. Yep. So Smith showed the family a hole in the floorboards, and uh, he claimed that the engineers repaired a gas leak, and that's why that hole was there. But the Bates family now believes that Smith would imprison her daughter down there. Oh my god. Oh, I'm, like I said, out of all the episodes for you to listen live, man. It gets worse. I'm going to go wake up my daughter and hug her after this, I think. Yep. So all communication stopped. For her parents' anniversary and for her father's birthday in March, Kelly Ann's family received cards in the mail from the couple, but only Smith wrote in them. Concerned, Margaret wanted to go see her daughter, but miscommunication stopped that. Her older brother's friend had said that he had seen Kellyanne, and she looked fine. Um, but the miscommunication is that he didn't exactly say when, so he had seen her like months prior to recent events. So, so his parents were asking about her, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I just saw her." Yeah, exactly. and just saw her was like months. Uh, yeah, okay. months previously. Yeah. So, either way, at the time, it was too late. Yeah. Kellyanne was dead when the police found her, naked on the bedroom floor. The pathologist who examined her body said that the injuries were the worst he had ever seen on a victim. This was clearly not an isolated incident which led to an accidental drowning, like Smith had originally told the police. She had been systematically abused and tortured over the last four weeks of her life. And to illustrate that point... Crime scene investigators found her blood in every single room of his house. Oh, yeah, no, I got nothing to say. Just keep going. Okay. Smith had no mercy. After looking for the perfect victim, he was able to finally carry out the darkest, most evil acts he could inflict on a living girl. He kept her prisoner, tying her to a radiator or by chairs, either by her hair or they also found ligature marks around her neck, so she was probably chained there. She was starved. She lost 44 pounds, and in the last week, there were signs on her body that she had not been given any water. In, sorry, in four weeks, she hadn't been given any water? No, just in the last week of her oh, life. Oh, I she see, had... I see, okay. Yeah, but either way, like, losing 44 pounds. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Smith had burned almost her entire body with a hot iron and with boiling water. He had smashed her hands and her kneecaps. 
he had broken her arm and stabbed her multiple times with forks, knives, and scissors. Now, I want to say that this was the worst extent of her injuries, but I can't. Oh, God. Um, I, I don't know how it could possibly get any worse, and I'm, I can truly say I am not excited to find out. Okay. I, like, I had to read it, and so now everybody has to hear it. Okay. <laughs> 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 um, so coroner reports say that no less than five days, but up to three weeks before her death, Smith gouged out Kellyanne's eyes, most likely with his own hands. He gouged out her eyes at least three weeks prior. Yeah, like that's... And she's sort of, I don't know, I'm not too familiar with human anatomy, but I thought that was a death sentence. Not necessarily, like, if, oh, this is going to sound so gross, but it (laughs) depends how far you go. Oh my god, okay. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. He mutilated her eyebrows, mouth, nose, ears, and genitalia. There was wounds caused by a spade. And by pruning shears, and there's evidence of stab wounds in her mouth and in her eye sockets. Mm. She was also partially scalped. So in total, they found 150 separate wounds inflicted upon Kellyanne. Peter Openshaw, the prosecutor in Smith's trial, said, and this is his exact quote, it was if he deliberately disfigured her causing her the utmost pain, distress, and degradation. The injuries were not the result of one sudden eruption of violence. They must have been caused over a long period and were so extensive and so terrible that the defendant must have deliberately and systematically tortured the girl. The cause of death was drowning, Immediately prior to which she had been beaten about the head with a shower head. Openshaw said, quote, her death must have been a merciful end to her torment, end quote. So if you're as enraged as I am after hearing the acts that this monster did, just wait, it gets better. That, that's, hopefully it gets better because it's been very dark so far. No. <laughs> no, no, this piece of human garbage had the audacity to plead not guilty to her murder. And get this, he claimed that he was the victim in all of this. What was his defense for that? Oh, just wait. Smith claims that Kellyanne would, quote, put him through hell winding him up. His version is that she would mock his dead mother and would hurt herself to make him look bad. You made her quit her job. She couldn't see her family. To whom was she supposed to look like? Who was she making you look bad to? And her eyes were gouged out. She she fucking did that to herself. Right? Right? So when questioned about the absolute and utter torture he did to her, he claimed that she dared him to do it. She was 17 years old when she died. And you're going to tell me that a now 49-year-old man thought that that was a reasonable defense that he let a 17 year old goad him into committing all these acts like i said let's please remember that this adult man 
known for abusing women, and after grooming this child to be what he wanted her to be, he was able to act out every single one of his darkest fantasies, and when she was so disfigured that she was almost unrecognizable, he was done with her, and he disposed of her because he was bored. Speaking of the past abuse, how did uh, were no charges laid against him trying to drown his uh, ex girlfriend or ex wife? I uh, can't remember which one it was. So I looked into it and I couldn't find any prior arrests. So I'm thinking that it was probably unreported at the time. And yeah, maybe she was just happy to finally be out and didn't want to stir the pot anymore. Because uh, and that could have been a good call. It could have been. Well, it's it's so difficult in cases like this because a part of you is like, you know, maybe if he had been prosecuted, if he had been put away, maybe... Maybe the next girl could have been spared, but at the same time, time. he could have went back for her instead. If, it's, yeah. it's so difficult. And, like, there's this really, really good book. Uh, it's called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker, and... He explores, like, women that try to take out restraining orders against their abusive partners. And getting the restraining order is the cause, like, what finally makes them snap into killing them. Because they get that piece of paper saying, stay away. And they take it as a challenge? Exactly. Yeah. They can't do it. So. That sounds like a really interesting read that I will keep out of my life forever. I honestly i've listened to it like it's an i have it as an audiobook and i've listened to it a few times i love it it's so interesting but it sounds just, like it i'll take your word for it for yeah, sure that's just my plug <laughs> <laughs> so on november 19th 1997 the jury took one hour before delivering the obviously guilty verdict what took them so long right. jesus well, like, I thought, you know, probably they couldn't just go in and out. Like, that probably looked bad. So yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I was, that's what I was thinking, though. Like, I don't, I don't even think they'd have to get up from the stands. Just, no, no, that's, he's guilty. Yep, yep. So all of the members of the jury were offered counseling after the trial in order to cope with having to view the evidence. And every single member of the jury did take the court up on that offer of counseling. That's surprisingly progressive for 1997. I think given what they saw, oh, it yeah, would no, be I unethical don't not to offer something. Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. So Smith was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 20 years. According to every article I read, he is still alive in prison. And that is the story of Kelly Ann Bates. And I know this one was hard and it was dark and there's a lot of other cases I could have gone with for domestic violence. But I just really wanted to discuss one that, like, worst case scenario, I guess. Oh yeah, it made my stomach churn. You know how fucked up your story has to be to be like, okay, now on to something lighter. Ghosts! <laughs> know but i read that and my heart broke and like these situations just need to be taken seriously oh absolutely yeah so that that is the story that that was a hell of a story 
Well, that's that's gonna fuck up my whole week. Uh, on to a lighter story, Yay! which is setting the bar pretty low, to be <laughs> honest. Uh, I'll tell you why D is for Devil's Playground. Nice. Uh, this is from Calgary, Alberta. Cool. So depending on who you talk to, this myth changes, but it's located around 84th Street and 9th Avenue on the outskirts of Calgary, Alberta. Okay. The most common legend goes that a school was built in 1915 and had burnt down on a hot summer day in 1920. When it burnt down, four to eight children were stuck in the school and perished along with it. Okay, so it's still pretty dark. That's pretty dark, Yeah, it's pretty dark. (laughs) Oof. Wow. Uh, And to this day, it is said that the children still haunt the grounds. Wow. Other versions suggest it was burnt down in the late 1800s instead. Okay, but the children are still inside. Just clarifying. Yeah, children are still inside. (laughs) Uh, one version of the story was a nun who taught at the school became possessed by the devil himself. She oh. then torched the place in a demonic rage. Ah, uh, yeah, I feel like she's having none of that. Yeah, none of that. Uh, you know what? I love kids, but like, I can I can get behind the demonic rage of <laughs> some elementary. I, uh, for the record, I'm kidding. Don't burn down schools. <laughs> <laughs> the the details of this story, including how many children are trapped in the school, where exactly the school was, and how the school got fired, have all become muddled over the years. Much of the scare factor is because the location is hard to pinpoint. The winding roads that lead to the property with no noteworthy landmarks make the location difficult to navigate and add to the scare factor. Allegedly, throughout the years, the building was in the process of being demolished when halfway through, the employees mysteriously got sick and their equipment stopped working. Oh, that's so weird. Yeah, I don't know how, like, the ghosts are siphoning gas or what happened. (laughs) Uh, Legend has it, ghosts of the children haunted the employees, causing them to leave the grounds alone, never fully finishing the demolition. You know, to be fair, like, I've been scared off of jobs for less, so... <laughs> yeah, so someone will, like, say hi to me the wrong way, and I'll be like, nah, I'm, yeah, I'm good here. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> Just gives me an off vibe. Right? <laughs> uh, years later, the city of Calgary sent a wrecking ball to finish the job, and the chain of the wrecking ball broke, allegedly killing a worker. Oh, man. Yeah, that's... A lot of weird shit's happening here. That's wild. The property is now an empty lot owned by the Ellis family. The Ellis family claims that the scariest part of the land is the trespassers trying to find proof of spirits. Mm. Who knew humans were the scariest thing of all? Mm. I think we all did after my story. That's a really good (laughs) point, actually. And I was reminded of it, and now I'm sad again. Uh... In 2017, Para Shorts did a documentary called Devil's Playground, doing interviews and exploring the area. Have you ever seen it? No, uh, This I, is the first I'm hearing of it. That sounds really interesting. Especially since we're so close to Calgary, I've never even heard of Devil's Playground there. Like, no, me neither. Given that it's so close. Yeah. Uh, while a documentary crew was on site, they did see some evidence of squatters, transients, drug use, food, vandalism, and people making fire pits inside the houses. So ghosts were just having a party. Mm. Some of the unexplainable that happened during the documentary filming was handprints appeared on the windows and doors of crew cars. Ew. Uh, an old Bible was found sitting on a chair that was not previously there. But 
you know, you did say that there was transients around. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, like, people could totally just be fucking with him. But I feel like a Bible is really hitting the nail on the head there. Oh, that's so funny. Courtney said, like, the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) That was not planned. Some reports from people that went to the location was that there were a ton of dead animals on the floor of the houses surrounding the area, which is sad. Does that mean demonic presence? The animals? Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if that's demonic or just creepy. Like, do you, it doesn't say what kind of animals, does it? No, it, uh, just animals. Oh, man. That's sad, though. That is sad. I, I'm, I'm hoping it's natural causes and they just found, like, a warmer place to die. And I... it's not people just randomly oh. killing squirrels and shit while they're trespassing. That'd just be sad. That would be sad. Uh, oh, well, I shouldn't have said that till this next point. Obvious signs of animal sacrifice and huh. devil worshipping. Oh, no! Yeah, so, okay, okay yeah. So it's not natural causes, Not, not too natural. Uh, children can be heard playing on the foundation of the remains. Uh, the remains of the building or the remains of the animals? Oh, God, I hope the remains of the building. The remains of the building, right? Yes, okay, Courtney's nodding the remains of the building. Uh, for some reason, heavy machine machinery sometimes doesn't work in the area. That's weird. Yeah, I don't know what would cause that specifically. Well, like, a lot of these can be explained by people just fucking with other people and being rude. But the heavy machinery, machinery. thing I, is is really weird. That is weird. Yeah, that's just strange. A young girl with long black hair wearing a white dress has been seen around the area during the witching hour. Mm, that's a that's an aesthetic right there. Oh, yeah. Witching hour, for yeah. sure. Bones are found in strange places and laid out in weird designs. Well, if there's animal sacrifice, that makes sense. That does make sense. That seems par for the course. Yep. People have said that they're feeling like they're being watched and having a burning sensation when stepping onto the grounds. Oh. Yeah, I'm not... A lot of uh, of devil work at play here. Uh, At the devil's playground? Yeah. The site can't be accessed as it's private property, so stepping on site would be considered trespassing, which Mm. doesn't seem to stop anyone anyways. Of course, you can drive by the area and try to experience something otherworldly. When you get there, turn off the car and see if you can hear the footsteps of ghostly children running around. Maybe your car will even have trouble turning back on, which would be fucking terrifying. (laughs) Uh, but if you do choose to, respect boundaries of the area and stay in your vehicle as everything is totally off limits. Mm, you know, that is very fair. Like, we've got to be respectful of the people that own the land. And... Yeah, and they've even went on record saying, like, hey, the ghosts are scary, but you guys are scarier. Yeah, like, just give us some space. Leave us be. Yeah, for sure. And where Courtney got these references from were uh, CBC... The Calgary Journal, AvenueCalgary.com, and Narcity.com. It even made the CBC. That's kind of cool. Oh, that's... it's about the documentary. That makes sense. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Well, that's awesome. You did great. Oh, I've... thank you. What a truly awful story that you had. Oh, interesting, but sad. Well, like I said, I'm sorry. Out of all the ones you got to sit in on, that's the one that you ended up with. Yeah. But... I'm really glad that you filled in and you did great and 
you retold her story very well. Oh, thank you. Hopefully, Courtney will be back next week for you guys. So she definitely will be back and she will be on our bonus episode, which comes out on Friday the 25th. So make sure you listen to our very first episode of Nocturnal Novellas. I like that name. Thank you. Yeah, Courtney came up with it. It really rings. Yeah, it sounds super good. And, you know, it's a lot lighter. It's funnier stuff. It's a chance to, you know, explore some really short, fun stories that hopefully brighten your day. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's us. Thanks for listening to See Is For Creepy. Oh, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for tuning in to See Is For Creepy. We put out weekly episodes every Tuesday going through the creepy alphabet. Check out our website at acast.com slash C is for creepy. Or on Facebook at C is for creepy podcast. Or on Instagram at C for creepy podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, please email us at C for creepy at gmail.com. Artwork done by Alexis Daly. Check out her work at L-E-X-X-A underscore artwork on Instagram. See you next week. Bye.